Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. It was a cold winter day, and an old man walked out on a frozen lake. He cut a hole in a, in a circle uh, in the ice, and then he dropped down his fishing line. And he was there for almost an hour in the cold and in the wind and the snow, and he didn't catch anything, not a bite one. Then he happened to notice a young boy walking over towards him, made his way out onto the same lake, not too terribly far from him. And, and that young boy also cut a hole in the ice. And he rigged up his fishing pole and he dropped the line in. And almost immediately, that young boy hooked largemouth bass. And the old man couldn't believe it. He'd been there for like an hour, hour and a half. But he chalked it up to just plain luck. That kid was just a lucky kid, just happened to be in the right spot, dropped his, his worm down right in front of the fish. It just so happened that that boy, he was lucky. That's how that man justified that in his head. But shortly thereafter, the young boy caught another fish, an even bigger fish than the first one. And the young boy kept catching fish after fish after fish. Finally, the old man just couldn't take it anymore. And he said, son, I have been out here for like two hours without even a bite. And you've been here just these few minutes and you've caught fish after fish. You've got like half a dozen there. How do you do it? The young boy responded, What was that? The old man said he didn't know what was happening. Again, the boy responded, Look, said the old man, I'm not here to play games. I can't understand anything that you're saying. Are you going to help me or not? And the boy finally goes, he said, you have to keep the worms warm. <laughs> Sometimes it's the little things that help you succeed at the bigger things that you try. And oftentimes, you have to be prepared to do something different. And that being prepared makes a difference in your life. Does anybody know what the scout motto is? Be prepared. Be prepared. Uh, yeah, always be prepared. That's, yeah, be prepared. It's be prepared. The meaning of the phrase is described by the, uh, the creator of the scouting movement. His name is Robert Baden-Powell. He wrote a book called Scouting for Boys, and it's defined like this. You are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Be prepared in mind by having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order, and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur. My wife is really good at that because she always sees what's happening. Like, always sees the worst situation and she's always prepared for it. I'm not. Uh, but any situation that might occur so that you know the right thing to do at the right moment and you've got to be willing to do it. Be prepared in body by making yourself strong and active and able to do the right thing at the right moment and do it. So I uh, was a Cub Scout. How many of you in here were Scouts? Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts? Yeah, so I was a Scout for about a minute. Uh, and I liked doing karate more than scouting, so I pretended to beat everybody up at Cub Scouts. So I did not do very well at scouting. Uh, however, my son Levi is an incredible scout. Like, the boy is just, like, he just constantly is absorbing all the things that scouts teaches him. And one of the things that he learned early on in scouting is that you have got to be prepared and ready for anything to happen. So if you are going 
uh, on a hike, you have to be prepared by planning what things you need to bring, right? So we always, when we go hiking, has a, a, a backpack with like five or six. Jeff, you probably know this more than I do, but um, I think it's five or six essential items, right? So water and a snack and a flashlight and a first aid kit and a compass, right? So these are the things that you have to have. And if you're going camping, you need other things to be prepared, right? If you're going uh, snow skiing, you're going to need other things with you to be prepared, if you're going rock climbing, you need a totally different set of gear to be prepared. And if you're going fishing in the winter, clearly you need to keep your worms warm. Being prepared for what lies ahead is important for every aspect of life, but it's even more especially important for our spiritual lives. One of the greatest things about the church, the body of Christ, is that through reading scripture together, worshiping together, and meeting in small groups together to discuss questions that we might have, to encourage one another and to deepen our relationships with other Christians, we prepare ourselves for a lifetime of following Jesus. And these things aren't really easy for us to do on our own. Through the rituals of church, the reading and understanding of Scripture, and the fellowship of the believers, we're able to better be prepared for what our spiritual journey has in store for us. So this morning, we're going to continue reading through the story of Jesus uh, and the events that come kind of right after Christmas as a reminder that the manger was just a starting point for a journey that led Jesus to change the world. So I believe that reading through the story of Jesus will show us ways that we as Christians, as followers of him, can be better prepared to live out our spiritual lives. So last week, we started this new sermon series called, What's Next? And then last week, we kind of worked our way through the stories of what comes immediately after the birth of Jesus, right? So we followed Joseph and his family as they went to Egypt to escape uh, Herod, who killed all the baby boys throughout the, the area surrounding Jerusalem to make sure that there was no competition to be the king of the Jews. We talked about the importance of retreat, right? That sometimes it's important for us to have to back away so that we can live to fight another day, right? We talked about how there's going to be battles in our lives, but if we aren't prepared for those battles, we're never going to win. And sometimes it takes us to walk away from some of the smaller battles for us to have a larger victory. We also spent some time last week talking about how Jesus never went back to the manger, right? For him, the manger was literally just the starting point to where he was born. The manger in Bethlehem was his birthplace, but he never went back serves to be a reminder for us that we don't need to live in the past. We don't need to constantly be looking back from where we came, but instead we need to be focused on what's ahead of us so that we can live out our calling fully. So this morning, as we continue on in scripture and we follow the stories of Jesus, I want us to see what happens chronologically next. And for us to do that, we have to come out of the book of Matthew and we have to go to the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, we see Jesus' family following the customs of their Jewish tradition by bringing Jesus into the temple for the uh, appropriate rituals, right? So Mary had to be cleansed after giving birth, and Jesus had to, to be presented in the temple as a Jewish boy. So Jewish the law of the Jewish people required two things for families of newborn children, that a woman who gave birth about 33 days after she gave birth had to be cleansed because Throughout that 33 days, she was not allowed to attend any religious services. She wasn't allowed to meet in, you know, with the, the priest. She had to wait until that 33 days of cleansing period was over, and then she had to go be cleansed ritualistically by a priest so she can once again uh, attend to her religious life. 
The second thing that had to happen was that every firstborn male in the Jewish society, every single one of them, had to be presented in the temple to be redeemed. Do you know what the word redeem means? We've talked about it in here before, but if we don't talk about it on a regular basis, I feel like sometimes I forget these things. The word redeemed means to gain possession of something in exchange for a payment. So the best way I can explain redemption is like if you look at it through the eyes of a shopper with a coupon. So usually at the bottom of every single coupon in like little tiny letters that nobody can ever read, what does it say at the very bottom? Well, it also has, yes, it has an expiration date, like good through whatever, but it also has in tiny, tiny little letters, like no normal human eye can see, something to the effect of no cash value, right? So you can't like use coupons as currency. There's no cash value in them. The coupon in and of itself has no value, but to redeem a coupon is to make valuable something that in and of itself has no value so you can take possession of something else. So a value is given to a worthless piece of paper or maybe like a QR code on your phone and it's exchanged for something else. The price is paid in full by the added value the redemption of that coupon. The history of humanity is very similar to this redemption process. And the story of Israel is the story of redemption. Redemption must take place of all the firstborn sons of Israel. Their lives must be redeemed as a reminder of the goodness of God to the Hebrew people. So if you remember back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, there's this prescribed ritual. Uh, it's a redemption ritual for the firstborn sons as a spiritual remembrance for what God did for the Hebrew people at the hands of Pharaoh. Because the Hebrew people were slaves for something like 400 years in Egypt. And so I want you to be able to read along with me in the book of Exodus. So it'll be on the screen. You guys can follow along at home in your own Bible if you have one. It's in Exodus chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. And here's what scripture says for us this morning. It says, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh sub stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it'll be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When God called his people out of Egypt, the Pharaoh's hardened heart caused the Pharaoh to refuse. Because of his stubbornness, there were 10 different plagues, right? And eventually the punishment was that every firstborn male in Egypt would die. It's a terrible and powerful act that proved that God was almighty and that God's words were true. And from this point on in history, God required that the Hebrew people had to redeem their firstborn sons as a reminder. There had to be a sacrifice in place of those boys. 
The Hebrew people have this sacred ritual where God reminds them that at the cost of the Egyptian people's firstborn, God rescued them from slavery. And from now on, all the firstborn boys in the Jewish line would have to be redeemed. They would be presented in the temple and a sacrifice would be offered instead of them. Instead of sacrificing the firstborn Hebrew males, Jewish parents could redeem their sons by either sacrificing uh, a lamb or, if they were poor, two doves. These sacrifices were made in exchange for the value of the life of the firstborn children. This redemption ritual was a means of preparation for all Jewish boys. This was a step in a journey of honoring God and His work of restoring Israel to freedom. They no longer were bound to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Instead, they were free. And Jesus, who was a Jewish boy, as just a quick reminder, he was required to do that as a part of his own faith journey. He was required to participate as a part of being a Jewish boy. And so with all this in mind, let's kind of read through what happens next in uh, the book of Luke. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and he was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. It's a very strange situation, right? So, so Mary and Joseph are doing what they're told to do. They're doing the prescribed rituals of all the jo- Jewish boys. They're coming to both uh, cleanse Mary and, and to get her back into a religious routine, and then also to, to bless Jesus and to anoint him as being God's own. First Simeon, who was a a righteous and devout man, it says, he recognizes this tiny little baby as the Messiah that that the Israelites were waiting on. Which is weird because they were expecting a mighty ruler, right? They were expecting a king. They were expecting somebody who was going to kick out the, the Romans and give them freedom again. They didn't expect a baby, but Simeon saw it. 
because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He saw something not everybody could see. He was prepared for that moment. Next, Anna, who was a devout Jewish believer, also recognizes who Jesus is. He was going to be the one to redeem Israel, right? We just got done talking about how all the Israelite boys had to be redeemed. And now Jesus is going to redeem Israel. Jesus is going to pay the price to make Israel right with God. And this old woman widow who spends all of her waking moments in the temple was prepared for that moment when Jesus showed up. Jesus would be the one to pay the price in order to make humanity valuable to God again. He would redeem the world. And it's recognized in this moment by two different people at the same time. This journey to the temple in Jerusalem to present Jesus and to redeem him would have been a preparing step for Jesus to begin work that that lay ahead of him. Jesus was being introduced in this moment to his faith by his parents His calling and his purpose were being affirmed by both Anna and Simeon. And Jesus would, as he grew, continue to be loved and taught by the church and its people. This ritual of sacrificing two doves was the beginning of a process that would end with Jesus on a cross as a sacrifice to redeem all of humanity. This moment recorded in the temple was important and it was a foreshadowing of what was to come through the work of Jesus on the cross for you and for me. This was the very first step preparing Jesus for what God was calling him to do. The very next story chronologically also happens in Luke, and it's right after that. It's following in verse 41 through 52 in chapter 2. It says this, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. So this story is amazing for a couple reasons. The first is, I know the context is a little bit different from today. However, could you imagine leaving the city, just assuming your kid was with you, and then not checking that he's actually there with you, right? I'm pretty sure that that is something that would cause a phone call to a specific uh, Oklahoma department of something today. But Jesus stayed behind in the temple and he sat among the teachers and the religious leaders and he was learning from them, right? So here's something I don't think that we understand fully. So Jesus being fully God and fully man had all the great things about God and also had all the dumb things about man 
And Jesus had to know more about who he was. And the perfect place for that was in the temple. Because he can learn about who his father was and he can learn about who humanity was in response to what God was doing. And so he sat among the the teachers and the leaders and he learned from them. And he asked great questions apparently and everyone was amazed by what Jesus knew. And he sat there listening for four days in the temple. Now, I... I don't know about you. What were you doing when you were 12? Were you like, gosh, I just got to go to church right now and sit there for four days. I I was not that guy. I have an 11-year-old at home. I can't get her to change her clothes, much less get her to church. But yet Jesus decides that's where he has to be. And even though his parents are gone, he's not worried. He's not afraid. He's not hungry. He's not malnourished. He's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Jesus knows where he is and he knows where he has to be. And Jesus is in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. He's preparing himself for the journey that lies ahead. And he was 12. Think about where the rest of us could be if we, at 12, were preparing for the journey that we would be on right now. I'm I'm kind of blessed in this situation because I knew that God was calling me when I was young. So the age of 14, I kind of began to prepare for what God was calling me to. I I began to prepare for a life in ministry. I wasn't out smoking weed. I wasn't out, you know, having sex. I wasn't out doing drugs. And and I, I wasn't a terrible kid because I knew that someday... I would be standing in front of people and I didn't want to be guilty and ashamed about who I was. But if I would have started that just a little bit earlier, I would have been even Jesus knew that his journey would lead him into some difficult places and so he wanted to make sure that he knew about his heavenly father. Being prepared for Jesus was important. Being prepared for us needs to be just as important. Jesus continued to prepare for himself for the sacrifices that he knew that he was going to have to make. Throughout his whole life, Jesus was very clear on the importance of being spiritually fit for your journey. In his biggest teaching moment on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked specifically about what being prepared looks like, about fasting and about prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 17, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received a reward in full. But when you go to pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that we've heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, 
did not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So not only did Jesus preach about it in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus practiced it, right? In Luke 4, Jesus spends time fasting in the wilderness. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus sneaks off to spend time alone in prayer with God. Jesus prayed for people when he healed them. He prayed for thanksgiving after those same people were healed. He prayed for wisdom and strength while he was actively being crucified on the cross. Jesus prepared himself for his journey when he was young, and then when he got older, he was ready for whatever lied ahead of him, including the crucifixion that broke him. And he calls us to be prepared for whatever we have to face. Jesus sets for us this perfect example of what it looks like to dive into our faith and love God with all that we are. We need to spend time in prayer, spend time in reading scripture, spend time fasting and focusing on our love and devotion to God. We need to do all of these things that Jesus did in order for us to grow and for us to be spiritually ready for what God is calling us to. Doing these things, doing spiritual practices will help us become spiritually fit. So friends, my prayer and my hope for each of us this week is that we're going to spend some time preparing ourselves for what God wants to do in and through us. My challenge for all of us this week is to open up your Bibles, get into the Gospels, and read the example that Jesus sets for us. Start in Matthew and read through John. See who Jesus was, and then let's begin to pattern our life after what Jesus does. I would love for us to spend more time reading scripture, diving deeper into a life of prayer, developing the spiritual gifts that God has given to us so that we can use them to glorify God and bring about his kingdom on the earth now. Friends, this week, let's get prepared for whatever 2021 is going to bring because we know that not all of us were ready for 2020. But let's be ready for what God is going to do next in and through us. Let us as a church be ready to do what God is asking us to do by sharing with the world who Jesus is, not who Matt Morgan is, not who Kim Myers is, not not who Harry Welker is. Let's be the church that God has required us to be. And the only way we can do that is if we know who Jesus is and we pattern what we do after what he's done. There's a lot for us to be ready for. So let's be prepared. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.